This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. We're starting a new series today, Each One Reach One, and on September 11th of this year, the Lord, uh, it wasn't a dream, he, he was speaking to me, he just said, Actually, I was doing a few things. wasn't praying at the time. He, he just spoke and he said, one plus one equals two. And I said, yes, Lord. Even I think I could figure that one out. And he says, it takes one to double. All it takes is one to double. And, and that's why I'm asking him, Lord, what are you saying? And... Uh, He, he said, it's time to answer the call. <laughs> it's time to listen up, Bob. <laughs> and, and he showed me that if each person in the church invited one person and they became a part of the church family, we would double. Now, the unique thing about this, I know it's God's will for us to increase that's clear in Scripture. He is a God of increase. But the difference in this, this was a quickened word or revealed word that God spoke. And by the way, that's what rhema, a rhema word, you hear somebody say that was a rhema. That's a quickened word. That's a word made alive. It's revealed to you. You ever heard, or maybe it's happened to you, you've read the Bible and something's jumped off the page. It became yours. It spoke to you. That is a rhema word to you. And so when God spoke this, I knew that this was God's will for us. This is like a, a divine goal that he's given us, a divine vision. He said, this is what I want, and which is exciting and everything, except uh, reaching out is one of those things that m most of us aren't really thrilled about doing, but we're going to look in this series, we're going to give you the how-tos and make it really, really simple and, and take away a lot of the fear and the stigma that's attached to it. And, and God, many, most of the time it's through relationships and friendships that God wants us to, to reach out. It's really not the, the norm to go out somebody you haven't met and know, that's, a, that's where probably takes a little bit more to, to do that, a little bit more boldness, but you can ask for boldness. We see that in the scriptures, asking. And so we're launching a campaign, we're calling it Each One Reach One, because Jesus is into building the church. And so, well, you're just talking about numbers. Well, God is into numbers. He named one of his books after numbers. He named it Numbers. And also... Numbers represent people, and God is into people. So we want to, uh, I want you to receive revealed knowledge. I want you to receive revelation, because when you receive revelation, it changes things. And I'm going to talk about that uh, a little bit more in this. So you head there in your notes, rhema means a revealed or quickened word from, from the Lord. And, and you can right now start inviting people to church, you know, invite them to come, and uh, we're going to 
do our best and believe God and pray and, and for God's spirit to minister to them. At the end of the secret place uh, prayer uh, series, I, I made a comment, and some of you uh, questioned that comment. I said, the Lord stopped me from praying about revival, and I thought I would just expand on that just a little bit, just to give some understanding uh, about that. He, he told me to stop praying for revival, and I was praying for revival all the time. And uh, he said, don't you know that the revivaler lives on the inside of you? Be revived. And it was like, you mean this is a decision I make? This is a choice I make? This isn't the way I've, I've been taught. And, and that's what the Lord was saying. So I, I stopped several years ago, you know, praying about that. Now, if you're praying revival, that's fine. I have, I believe America needs revival. I just believe it comes in a different way than what you hear people praying about revival for. I believe it's not us praying and, and trying to get God to do something, trying to get God to revive us when what we're doing, we're putting it all on God. God's holding back. This is God's fault because we don't have revival. I believe it's more in this avenue that we need to wake up, that we need to be the church. And we looked at the end uh, of that series, and I mentioned how to pray for the lost and how to pray for revelation. And I believe that's one of the themes that we find in the Old Testament. So let me talk about revival for a minute. Revival means to restore breath, to recover from loss, to reinvigorate, and to revitalize. And you think, what is revival? Most people will tell you it's a series of meetings where people press into God and the, there's a flow of the Holy Spirit and lives are, are touched. And and that's wonderful. I love that. But I believe that what we're really after is even more than that. Um, first of all, we got to know revival. When we say the word revival, is for believers. It's for believers. And the concept of revival indicates after a period of doubt and unbelief, after a period of time, you are restored. You come, come back to God. That's what the concept or uh, revival, you're restoring that which you had lost your breath. So you come back to God. But I'm not sure if that is the best term for what we need here in America. I believe there's a term that probably fits it a little bit better than that, especially in the USA where we've seen so much, done so much, we bought all the CDs, we bought all the books, we've worn the T-shirts. But has all the revivals, these conferences, all these things, have they produced a church that is full of passion, that is unstoppable, that is going forth, uh, as a church that God's Spirit can flow through to bring the desired harvest that we see in Scriptures. And I would say, no, we haven't seen it. In fact, 
we have seen a decline in Christianity in America. The numbers have gone down. It hasn't gone up, it's gone down. What's the answer? There's got to be a solution to this. Is prayer alone really what, what will cause the world to be impacted by God's Spirit? Is it prayer alone? Or is it prayer plus the church getting up and witnessing the church getting up and being the church and doing what we're supposed to do? I believe there's a combination of it. I believe we can't just do one without the other. We need both. And by and by, the church as a whole has been more of a disciple, discipling church, but we haven't reached out and really pulled in the harvest that God desires for us to have. I believe that a better term might be reformation. And you probably heard this term if you study the Bible. Any there's been reformations uh, in the Word. Uh, and what does that mean? It means to take on a new form or to reshape. Now, I don't believe we need to uh, take on a new form. I, need, I believe we need to reshape into an old form. Like the Great Commission, like the Book of Acts. We need to reshape into the blueprint of the original design that God has for the church. That church will produce results. That church will turn the, the earth upside down or right side up, whichever way you want to look at it. It will have an impact on the culture, on society, on lives. If we'll do it the way that God says to do it. I believe it's time for the church to look and sound like Jesus. I believe it's time for the church to return to its first love. I believe it's time for the church to have a revelation of how much they've been forgiven, and he that's been forgiven much will love much. And if you don't realize you haven't been forgiven much, you just haven't learned how much you've loved. You've been loved. Because every single one of us has been forgiven much. Is there any... Little rascals around here, they've done the wrong thing in the before. Since you were a believer, have you ever done the wrong thing? What's wrong with you? All of you are... We've been forgiven much. These people we read about in the scriptures, it says the church was added to daily. That means they were carrying Jesus everywhere they went. They were talking Jesus. They were, he was the center of their life. And I believe we have to get back to what they had. I believe in a, a reformation or a reforming. Jesus brought a reformation. It said Moses came with the law, but Jesus came with grace and truth, or truth and grace. There was truth, he brought the grace. And then you have another reformation with the Pauline epistles where Paul brought the in Christ realities or when Jesus was crucified, I was crucified. When Jesus died, I died. When he was resurrected, I was resurrected. Those truths brought a reformation or reshaping to the body, to the church. 
I believe we need to go back to those things. And then there was a historical reformation, and that reformation was Martin Luther, and he nailed the articles on the, on the church door, and basically is the just shall live by faith. And it got out all the works mentality onto it's by faith that we receive righteousness. But then you can go to extreme. I don't have to do no works. Yes, you do. <laughs> you were ordained to do works. I just don't do them to get acceptance with God. He's already madly in love with me and you. He loves us. Don't you love that song we were singing, Receive His Love? Reformation back to original state. People that speak of revival many times speak of trying to get God to do something new or trying to get God to do something he did before. And, and really when you look at revival, it's temporary. Why? Because you gain your breath. It's a temporary thing. And you'll find people lose their breath again. <laughs> but let me tell you something that's permanent. Revelation. Why is revelation permanent? Because you can always tap into it. Once you get a revelation, it's yours. Now, when I got saved, to give you an example, when I would mess up, I got radically saved, but anytime I messed up, it was awful. I thought the whole world had came to an end. And then I'd come to church, and I'd get saved again. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. And just feel awful. And then I would start having to pay penance. You know, this was really bad here, so that's going to take me three or four days to get back in God's graces. And sure enough, three or four days, I'd start feeling better after that. Well, I'm back, God. You, you know, your son Bob here. <laughs> but then got a revelation that I'm forgiven and I'm accepted and I can come boldly to the throne room of grace and receive mercy. You mean I come a-running even when I've blown it and get mercy? Yes. And I got that revelation. Now when I blow it, which isn't very No. <laughs> Kidding. When I blow it, now I don't run from him. It didn't take me time to get back. I run to him. I need Papa's arms. <laughs> I need his love. I need his wisdom. I need him. So I run to him. That's revelation. And once you get that revelation, and I haven't asked God to save me again. I know I am. And that thing is established. That's what revelation does for you. But revelation, if it's permanent, where's revelation found? It's found in intimacy with God. It's found in worship and the Word and spending time with Him. In that intimacy, He'll give you a revelation because He speaks. He'll speak to you. I mean, know that God speaks. And you've all heard God speak, I'm sure. It's that, through that intimacy with Him that He speaks and He reveals and He shows us things. Well, Reformation is birthed out of Revelation. Reformation or reforming, reshaping is... Is this is a permanent thing birthed out of revelation. 
then you look at the new covenant and you see and you look at Paul, you look at the things, you know, they didn't pray for revival. They prayed for boldness. They prayed for revelation to know the hope of their calling, what the, the riches of the inheritance they had in Christ. They, they prayed for that revelation to be what they already were on the inside. I'm telling you, if we'll let out who lives on the inside, we'll have revival, we'll have reformation, we'll have change. And nobody will be the same, including us. We just got to let him out. I believe we go back to the original intent, the the original blueprint to find the answers. In Ephesians 1.22, it says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the head and the body need to be in alignment. The head and the body, should they should be together. Now, if my head came out here, 30 seconds before the rest of my body came out here, something's wrong. Everybody clear the building. <laughs> Me too. I'd, my head be here, my body be running away. <laughs> See, there needs to be this, this place of oneness. But see, we've had a, a Frankenstein Christianity where people encounter a different head and body. When they encounter God in the church, it's, it's different. And many times people can't tell the, the difference from the world. And see, there's got to be a oneness. We've got to flow back with the head. We should sound like the head and look like there's... We should smell like the head if we're connected to the head. We should be attached. Amen. When people meet us, the church, it should be like meeting him, the head. We represent him on this earth. As he is, so are we in this earth, in this world. People are looking at us when they know we're a Christian and they're thinking about, Father, that's how God is. How we walk and how we live does make a difference. I'm not saying we're perfect. I'm just saying that people need to notice that we love him. People should notice that we've been with him. That there's a difference in our lives. Not perfect, just forgiven, just loved, walking with him. Have you ever been around someone that you didn't know and you knew they were a Christian before you found that they were a Christian. Why? You could tell they had been around him. You could tell that they walked with him. And it was, it was attractive. And I, I don't know how many times I've done said, you're a Christian, aren't you? Yeah. How'd you know? I, just, I knew. And why? Because they're connected to the head. They're connected to the Lord. When people encounter us, his body, they should get a taste of how incredible, how loving, how life-filled, how forgiving, how wonderful Jesus is. 
when people encounter us as Bonnie, they should get a glimpse of Jesus. So it is important how we walk and how we live. In Mark 16, verse 15, looking at the original model, he said, he said to them, Go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, any, and if they drink, drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now, when you look at this, Jesus came to his 11 disciples, and it says that he rebuked them. Before he gave this, he rebuked them because of your, your doubt, your unbelief, your hardness of heart, because they did not believe in the witness that he had risen. They didn't believe that he had risen from the dead. And Jesus comes to them and rebukes them and said, Look, this is what I want you to do. You should believe what you've been hearing, but you didn't, and I'm here and I want you to do this. This is your mission. This is why I want you to do. And this is the same for us. The same call. The same uh, mandate from heaven is for us today. Now, if he's given us a mission, that means it's mission possible. And many times we think it's mission impossible, but that's where God likes to really burst forth and show how great he is when he asks you to do something you can't do naturally. That's not comfortable for you, just not your thing. But God will make it your thing because he said, I'll make you fishermen. I will make you fishers of men. Now, if he will make you that, say, Lord, make me that because that's not my natural mode. I like to fish for fish, but not people. But God said, fish for people. He rebuked them. I want you to see here the, the emphasis he's saying, a mission-minded church. We got to be intentional about this. You've got to do some things on purpose. Do you realize there's some things in life that you got to be intentional about? And you can be intentional until it becomes a habit. I do not tell myself when I get up in the morning, brush your teeth. Brush your teeth, Bob. You remember what your mom and dad said? Brush your teeth. I don't have to tell myself that anymore because I was intentional. Got in the habit, kept doing it until it became a part of my life. And now I brush my teeth. Yes, thank you, Lord. We're all glad about that. So, what we, what about working out? Do you have you noticed you just don't wake up and you're at the gym? Well, how'd I get here? Hey, this is wonderful. Never had so much fun. No, you have to be intentional about it. You've got to be intentional. You've got to do it on purpose. If God's calling us to do something on purpose with intention, then he will empower us. It's called a grace empowerment. He will empower us to do it. 
So we must be mission-minded. A mission-minded church has resolved to daily allow their lives to be centered around Jesus, to be that vehicle that Jesus can use to go where he wants to go and do what he wants to do, to carry Jesus. We need to be passionate about what Jesus is passionate about. We need to love what God loves. He loves people. He's after people. And that has to be the center of what we're doing. We're reaching people for him. We're after the harvest. God's heart beats for people. It's more than just being comfortable in church or not having the sacrifice. It's more than just uh, learning the word. It's doing the word. It's reaching out. Who are you ministering to? Who are you helping? Who are you praying for? Do you have some people that you're praying for? Do you have some unbelievers around you anywhere? How many know that prayer can change things? We need to be praying. Then ask God for strategy. Maybe you've gone to him a hundred times. Go again. Maybe you need to write him a letter. God is unique and has special ways of reaching people. We need to be after the harvest. God wants to touch lives and minister to others for you. So we need to recover. We need to discover. We need to return to the original blueprint and get the results they were getting. It's not uh, enough for us just to have spiritual entertainment. We've got to do what the Word says. We've got to do what God has commissioned and called us to do, and that's to reach the lost. And there's plenty of spiritual orphans around who have no church family. God has called each and every believer into a church family because we need others. We need encouragement. We need prayers. We need strength. We need somebody in the physical that we can go to and get counseling, that we can get help, that we can get receive prayer. And you need someone who is a believer that you can minister to, that you can have agreement with, that you can walk with, that you can encourage. It can be a strength to you. And you need someone who is lost. You need someone out there that you've befriended and reached them and be getting them to visit church, getting them to open their mind to know that God is real and he is alive. Because the truth is there is a hell and it will last for all eternity. And God has called us to snatch them out of hell. God has called us to minister good news. Aren't you glad it's good news and not bad news? It could have been bad news, but he gave us good news. We're carriers of good news, not bad news. It's not like we're coming up and say, look, God's got a word for you. You lousy, no good, stinking... <laughs> No, we got good news. God loves you so much. He wants me to tell you this. He's in love with you. He loves you so much. He died for every place you've ever blown it and missed it, man. He wants to give you the best life on this earth. He wants to give you peace. He wants to give you joy. He wants you to win in life. He wants you to even be a part of his business. You mean God has a business? God has a business. It's called the family business. You get to be involved in the family business. What's it about? It's about touching people with good news for him. It's about pointing people to Jesus. Wow. What a 
You mean I have my own ministry? Yes, the ministry of reconciliation. Every single believer, every single person that's a part of the family has that ministry. I don't know about you, I want to stand before him and give a good account of my ministry because all believers have that ministry. Amen? A church that is working in Father's business so down, passionately in love with Jesus, seeking the lost, reaching out to people. It's so easy. And we all do it. We get lost in our own world. It's so easy just to, well, I'll call them tomorrow. I'll do this later and just be in our own world. But we're in this world for a purpose. And that's to touch others and to reach out. I believe many times boredom comes to believers because they're not mission-minded. No believer should ever be bored. There's too many out there lost. There's too many prayers that need to be prayed. There's too many people there that need to hear good news. There's too many people that need a helping hand. There's too much to do to be bored. It should be, oh, there's just not enough time in the day. I want you to take a look at this uh, video and uh, John Harper. This, this testimony has always challenged me. And I, I love it. It's always stirred me and challenged me. So take a look at this. It was April 15, 1912, the year of our Lord, when the HMS Titanic sank beneath the icy waters of the North Atlantic, taking with it 1,517 lives. The largest and most luxurious ship known to man at the time was gone, reminding the world of our frailty as human beings. But there is more to the sinking of the Titanic than a historical tragedy. There is a story of courageous heroism and unshakable faith. John Harper was aboard the Titanic when she set sail from Southampton, England on her maiden voyage. An evangelist, originally from Glasgow, Scotland, he was well known throughout the United Kingdom as a charismatic, passionate speaker who led many to Christ through his gift of preaching. In 1912, Reverend Harper received an invitation to speak at the Moody Church in Chicago, USA. And on April 11, 1912, John Harper boarded the Titanic. The world was captivated with the ship. Widely proclaimed as unsinkable, it was the largest movable object ever built by man at the time. Some of the wealthiest people in the world were aboard. While many of the passengers spoke of business deals, acquisitions, and material desires, John Harper was diligently sharing the love of Christ with others. In the days leading up to the tragedy, survivors reported seeing Harper living like a man of faith, speaking kind words, and sharing the love of Christ. On the evening of April 14th, as passengers danced in the ballroom and tried their luck at the card tables, John Harper put his daughter to bed and read his devotions, as he did every night. At 11.40 p.m., the Titanic struck an iceberg. The unsinkable ship was doomed. Either in disbelief or unaware at the time, passengers continued about their pleasures. 
It wasn't until the ship's crew sent up a series of distress flares, lighting up the moonless night, that passengers finally realized the seriousness of their situation. Then chaos ensued. It all happened so fast that John Harper could only react. His response left an historic example of courage and faith. Harper awakened his daughter, picked her up, and wrapped her in a blanket before carrying her up to the deck. There he kissed her goodbye and handed her to a crewman who put her into boat number 11. Harper knew he would never see his daughter again, and his daughter would be left an orphan at six years of age. Harper then gave his life jacket to a fellow passenger, ending any chance of his survival. While the light of other worldly ambitions began to flicker and die, John Harper's burned even brighter. As the sounds of terror and mayhem continued, Harper focused on his God-given purpose. Survivors reported seeing him on the upper deck, surrounded by terrified passengers, on his knees, praying for their salvation. At 2.40 a.m., the Titanic disappeared beneath the North Atlantic, leaving a mushroom-like cloud of smoke and steam above her grave, and tragically, over 1,000 people, including Harper, fighting for their lives in the icy water. He managed to find a piece of floating wreckage to hold onto. Quickly, he swam up to every person he could find, urging those about him to put their faith in Jesus Christ. While death forced others to face the folly of their life's pursuits, John Harper's goal of winning men to Jesus Christ became more vital. Soon, John Harper began to succumb to the sea. Even in his last moment, this tireless man of undying faith continued his life pursuit of winning lost souls. I am a survivor of the Titanic. I was one of only six people out of 1,517 to be pulled from the icy waters on that dreadful night. Like the hundreds around me, I found myself struggling in the cold, dark waters of the North Atlantic. The wail of the perishing was ringing in my ears when there floated by me a man who called to me, Is your soul saved? I heard him call out to others as he and everyone around me sank beneath the waters to eternity. There alone in the night, with two miles of water under me, I cried to Christ to save me. I am John Harper's last convert. Harper, as he knew then, would not survive. But his example of undying faith and commitment to the Word of God lives as an example for all to see. In the midst of that desperate assemblage of drowning men, women, and children, he pointed them to the cross, and thus, as he lived, died with that one name upon his lips, Jesus Christ. Can you imagine you have a six-year-old daughter? Uh, his wife had, had died, and uh, his, his love for God being able to turn her away. And uh, when you read some of the writings, it, it said that he kissed her goodbye and said, I will see you again. And uh, what a heart for God and for souls. And that's, that's the heart, I believe, we got to get back to is no, with uh, urgency. Some people die. <laughs> Some people leave, leave the earth. 
it's just like um, some of you, I, I know, Chris, some of you, that uh, there were a couple people on a motorcycle that died, and uh, doctors. Chris uh, Bounds, her doctor, passed away in just years too. And just motorcycle wreck, and they're gone. Don't know exactly what happened, but <clears throat> my uh, my niece uh, was telling me it was her doctor too. So it's uh, people can have accidents, things can happen. There's an urgency. We need to reach them. We need to be there for them. I'm on close with this, this scripture, Luke 19, verse 30. It says, go, ye, go into that village over there. He told them, as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks why you're untying that colt, just say the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. And then the owner said, okay, take it. And, uh, but what happened here, Jesus needed a vehicle, and he chose this, this donkey. Now, it's interesting that he didn't choose a, a, a chariot, the latest model chariot, or a stallion. He chose a donkey. And how many know that uh, donkeys are exactly known for their great looks or you don't see a lot of people that have in their home that people that love horses they have a big picture of a donkey you just don't see it where are donkeys known for they're known for being faithful and steadfast and in fact uh, one translation said a, 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 bur a beast of burden isn't it interesting that Jesus would carry the sins and the burdens of the entire world and ride that donkey. Now the donkey represents his humility, his meekness, his servanthood. But this this donkey uh, also, you could say, was a, a commoner or just a common animal with nothing really that special, just faithful to, to carry the load and got to carry the greatest package ever carried the, the salvation of the world on its, on its back. So I just want to submit to you this thought. Today, Jesus wants to go places, and he's looking for someone to give him a lift. He's want, wanting to go into your workplace. He's wanting to go into your office. He's wanting to go to your relative's house. He's wanting to go to your neighbors. He's wanting to go into the schools, into the colleges, into the cities, into the countries, into the nations. But he needs someone faithful to carry. Not that the donkey takes any of the, the glory of the worship. The rider does, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's looking for someone that will carry him. Why? He loves people. He's after people. And he wants everyone to go to heaven. God wants everyone to go to heaven. But he, he 
wants and needs you to get them there. Because we're his hands and we're his feet. We're his mouth. We're the ones that share the good news in this earth. He's looking for the faithful. So how about you? Will you carry him? Will you be a donkey that he can use? I believe part of this reformation is there will not be no the, the superstars, the, the stallions and those golden chariots. I, I believe it's the day of the donkey that the whole church, the common person just like you and I, will be ministers to bring in the harvest. That God has called each of us, even in our imperfections, and we just don't, if you get and look as close, we just don't look that good. But he loves us so much, and he said, will you carry me? Will you let me go to the places I want to go and minister to people? Will you be that donkey for me? See, Jesus wants every member to be a minister. And see, part of that great commission was to get them saved, but also to set them free from every bondage, everything that's binding them. See, Jesus went and said, untie or loose this donkey. This donkey was tied up. And probably the only thing this donkey had to do was go around a pole, endlessly around the same maybe stop and eat some hay and peer out through the, the little fence there and, and see the world but unable because of captivity unable to go to the place that peering out and, and longing to go to sometime but Jesus said loose untie this donkey and the donkey's life was changed the donkey went from going around a a pole probably, to carrying the move of God, (laughs) to carrying the Lord Jesus Christ. What a change that took place. But let me tell you, Jesus didn't untie this donkey just because he loves donkeys. And he wanted the donkeys free. Or he wanted the donkey to go to donkey sanctuary. He loosed it for a purpose. For this donkey to be free, but it goes beyond that. He wanted a vehicle for others to be free. For other donkeys, other people to be free. Now I know you see the picture, but we're the donkeys. We were in sin. We were in bondage. Jesus brought the message of liberation and freedom and set us free. And we became brand new. We were changed. But it just wasn't for our freedom only. He has a purpose beyond that. He needs transportation. He needs to be carried still. He needs a lift. He needs to be ministering to others. And we're the ones that carry him. We're the ones that bring Jesus to people. So you've been set free, but there's a a purpose behind that freedom that you get honored to be a part of untying some other donkeys. You get to be a part by carrying Jesus to them. 
We've been loose for a purpose. We have a mission. Jesus wants to ride upon our lives just as he did that liberated donkey to bring the message of freedom to others. You know, I don't want to be a donkey doing my own thing. Out running around fancy free and just having a good time in my life. I want to be so grateful, so thankful that I turn over my freedom back to the one who set me free and I live for him. That I give my life, I devote my life to him who loves me so much. And I want to put his will first. I want to do what he wants. That's all I care about is doing his will. That's what God wants for his church. And when we get that, we'll overflow with love for others. And he will be glorified and the harvest will come in. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to make a decision. And that is to be open to God using you to touch other lives like never before. To be intentional, to be awake, to have your eyes open, not be so busy that we miss the nudge of the Holy Spirit, that we miss that, that one we need to reach out and touch. But I don't want this to be a decision to have some legalistic obligation or a guilt trip, but it needs to be a revelation that births out a pure desire out of your love for God something that's birthed inside of you. And I want you, if you want to make this decision, and then what's the decision? I want you to agree with me. We're going to ask for a revelation of that love and His desire for others that we could carry Him to, that we're open to reaching out and touching lives. If that's you, I just want you to stand up. You're as willing to make that decision. Thank you, Lord. I want you to lift your hands up. Because God sees you. He sees your heart. And He'll bring increase. Because I know you that are standing, you have reached out to others, but God will bring increase. He'll bring more. Father, for each of us standing here, we ask, Lord, for revelation to be birthed in us of your love for us and your love for others. That, Lord, out of a pure desire to please you and to love you, that we'll reach out to others. Give us revelation, Lord. We're willing, God, to touch lives for you. We're willing, Lord, to take you every place that we go. We're willing to open our mouth. We're willing to do good to those that don't deserve it. We're willing to reach out with the love of God. We're willing not to judge. We're willing to look the other way at the things that are unlovely in the person maybe but we're going to see them through your eyes we're going to see them through the blood stained eyes of Jesus Christ 
And we're going to see them in you. We're going to see them coming to you. God, we thank you for families coming to you. We thank you for relatives coming into the kingdom. Sons and daughters. Brothers and sisters. We see them coming in. We see them taking the stand for you, Lord. Co-workers. Those in school. Those on the job. Those you come across. Friends. Friends on Facebook. Friends. Neighbors. Open up opportunities, Lord. And we'll be a faithful donkey. And Lord, even we blow it, we thank you that you're there for us and more opportunity. We ask for your grace to be released upon us. Strengthen us, Lord, in this endeavor. Because we know it's your will, it's your mandate, it's your great commission to us. And we're ready, Lord, to see us double and triple. We're ready, Lord, to see the harvest. We're ready, Lord, to see your provision and your supply. Fill our mouths with the right words. Lord, let us minister healing to those around us. Let us disciple, let us mentor, let us speak in the people's lives. Let us be an encouragement. Let us be light. Let us be salt. Let us be who we really are on the inside. Let the real you come out, Lord. We work out our salvation. The hour's late. And for some, it's very late because their days are short. But Lord, let us rise up with urgency. Not as let, don't let us be those that put it on the shelf and save for another day. But Lord, let us even go through inconvenience. Let us sacrifice. Let us be those that would carry the cross to a lost and dying world. Perverted, lost, destined for hell. But Lord, you've called us to bring you, to bring life. And we thank you for that. We worship you. We adore you. We give you the honor. We give you the praise. We receive, Lord. We receive, oh God. Thank you, Jesus. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.